Did your grandma have a Christmas cactus when you were growing up? You know what? My grandmother did not, but it, it sounds like something I can picture a lot of grandmothers doing. Oh, okay. Well, my, my grandmother had a Christmas cactus when I was growing up, and I always thought it was the coolest thing, and I wondered what it, where it came from when I was a kid. And it wasn't until I got older and I realized, wow, that that cactus that my grandma had, it didn't grow out in the middle of the desert like you typically think of cactus growing. It grew in the rainforest. The Climatron at the Missouri Botanical Garden has more than 2,800 different types of plants within it, some of them quite unusual. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Yesterday was a big milestone for a St. Louis institution. The Climatron at the Missouri Botanical Garden turned 60. And while we might take this geodesic dome for granted, we really shouldn't. It's not just a great place to see tropical foliage in the St. Louis winter. In 1976, the Climatron was named one of the 100 most significant architectural achievements in United States history. That's definitely something to celebrate. And so joining us today to discuss the Climatron's history and its birthday is Susie Radcliffe. She's a horticulturalist at the Botanical Garden. She actually works right there in the Climatron. So Susie, welcome. Hi, how are you today? So I'm excited to talk about this. I think this Climatron is one of my favorite places to visit around town. Uh, Take us back to 1960. What made the Climatron such a big deal? Um, The Climatron was actually the first geodesic dome ever built. Um, Art Buckminster Fuller had this plan, (laughs) and um, it it all came together, and it was quite an undertaking and quite an accomplishment. What led to the first geodesic dome? I now realize that's how one says it. Um, What led to that being built here in St. Louis? Um, the, the garden was looking for ways um, to encourage people to come, to, to increase visitorship, to give a one-of-a-kind experience, you know, it, uh, to grow and, and at the same time, provide a service and and help with education and just all kinds of little things. So this was meant in many ways to be an attraction, almost like a tourist attraction to bring people into the botanical garden. Yes, in a lot of ways, but it was also from the start, it was also meant to be um, a, a place where you could study you could study plants, you could study architecture, obviously, um, you know, ecosystems, climate control systems. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you find a lot of people coming there today to study the plants that are there. There's such a remarkable variety that are there. Do you still find people who come in who are interested in the architecture? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And And what's really cool is occasionally we will get a visitor that comes in, um, and they were part of the renovation in the 80s, Mm. okay? Um, In the late 80s, the Climatron went through a renovation, and yeah, some of the folks that, you know, worked on that renovation, they come in and they look around and they 
wow, things have really grown, and they talk about how certain things have aged and how well they look. And, and yeah, it's really cool. Hmm. So there's more than 2,800 plants in there. Give us some of the highlights. Oh, well, for me, it's it's epiphytes, but, I mean, we, we have... Uh, the Madaga- Ravenella madagascariensis, um, it's called the traveler's palm. Uh, we have a banyan. We have epiphytic cactus. We have orchids. I mean, we just have a little bit of everything. And, the, and we are adding new plants all the time. Uh, we recently redid one of the beds where the focus is on... Um, plants that are endemic to the Mauritius, Madagascar area, Hmm. um, because so many of those plants are in danger of, you know, from climate change, from from various different things. And and yeah, we have a lot of wild collected plants Hmm. in the Climatron. And I understand some of them. So you have some wild plants that are harvested in, in other places. But I understand some of these plants date back to the 1920s, and, and even some of them go all the way back to the 1904 World's Fair. Can that be right? Yes, it is. We have cycads in what we call, we refer to as cycad ridge. It's kind of a central bed in the Climatron. And there are plants in there that were donated to the gov- to the garden um, from the 1904 World's Fair, um, I believe they were from the Mexican government. Hmm. Um, and even though we've had them since 1904, which is quite some, quite a long time, the plants are probably actually much older than that. They grow very slow. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, these plants could easily be two or three hundred years old or more. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. That gives us a sense of our own just blip in in this timing here. Um, I'm also curious, you mentioned that that for you, um, a big highlight is the epiphytes. And this is my ignorance of botany. But what is an epiphyte? Okay, an epiphyte is any plant that uses another plant to get in a position to get the light and moisture and and what it needs to grow. Um, orchids are epiphytes. You will will frequently find them growing um, in on a tree. They're they're climbing up the tree and they're rooting on the tree. They don't hurt the plant that they're on. Mm-hmm. They just use it to get in a position where they can get what they need. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So they're able to to use this plant. They're not harming it. This is not a a parasite situation. No. But they're climbing up towards the light or getting the nutrients. Yes. And so orchids are an example of that. What's another example of an epiphyte? Epiphytic cactus. Um, Okay. Did your grandma have a Christmas cactus when you were growing up? (laughs) You know what? My grandmother did not, but it, it sounds like something I can picture a lot of grandmothers doing. Okay. Well, my my grandmother had a Christmas cactus when I was growing up, and I always thought it was the coolest thing. And I wondered what it, where it came from when I was a kid. And it wasn't until I got older and I realized, wow, that 
that cactus that my grandma had, it didn't grow out in the middle of the desert like you typically think of cactus growing. Mm -hmm. It grew in the rainforest on a tree Hmm. branch, you know, or a rock face you know, trying to get light. It, it grew in the rainforest. <laughs> so these are some remarkable, these are plants that have found ways to thrive in situations where you wouldn't assume they could thrive. Exactly. That, that is interesting. I can see why you have such appreciation for them. You, you know, talking about the orchids, um, that brings to mind something else I wanted to ask you about. And as somebody who did not grow up in St. Louis, this was news to me, but I understand there's a lot of kids who went through the Climatron for class trips who are going to know what we're talking about here. And that is that there was a talking orchid within the Climatron. Yeah. Is that right? What, what was the idea behind that? Um, it was a way to, to connect with children and, 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 it, teach them somewhat about epiphytes. Um, you would walk up to this, and this voice would say, hello, would you give me a drink? And it would tell you how to go about giving it a drink. You know, there was a little fountain there with water in it. You kept it in your hand. You put it up to the two. Uh, uh, Susie? Oh, I think we might have lost. And it would proceed to tell you different things about orchids. Okay, so Susie, your phone just blipped out there for a second, but I can hear you back with us now, and, and you sound great. And so you're saying this this orchid would share with the children information about orchids after drinking water out of your hand? Is that right? Yes, yes. Wow, yes. that sounds like some elaborate engineering there. How is this a one-of-a-kind orchid? I mean, how did this come to be? Um, it was all part of the renovation, and I'm not really sure how it came to be or whose idea it was, but I know that a lot of people really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of kids really enjoyed it, and we still have people that come in and question, where did it go? What happened to it? And it basically, it eventually just wore out. Hmm. So uh, people are still asking about this thing. Are there any plans to maybe bring it back? Well, to the best of my knowledge, the last that I heard was that would be a donor project. Mm -hmm. If there was somebody that was, you know, willing to donate the money to do it, that they would consider it, they would talk about it. That was the last I heard several years ago. Okay, so if someone wanted to take this on, there might be interest in doing it, but it would really require someone having a, a special intention towards the talking orchid. Yes. Okay. Well, Susie, bigger question I've got to ask you. You've worked at the Climatron since 1997. Did it take some adjustment to get used to working within all that humidity? No. No, I, <laughs> I'm one of those people that the humidity doesn't bother me. The heat and humidity doesn't bother me quite as much as it does a lot of people. But folks don't understand. We have a cooling system in here during the summer, mm -hmm. and it is frequently cooler in the Climatron than it is outside. Hmm. So what's the range of temperature that the, that the Climatron is staying within? Uh, we're normal. Our average is 64 degrees for the low and 85 for the high, and about 85 percent humidity. That's kind of like a yearly average. Okay. I mean, actually, that sounds kind of wonderful. Are your friends super jealous that as the winter, you know, goes on and on and the snow is falling, you're inside the Climatron getting to garden in this balmy weather? 
I get a lot of friends that do come and see me during the winter. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that that makes you quite popular. Um, So you've been there now for for all this time. I'm wondering how how this Climatron is holding up. You said it had this big project that took place to, to renovate it, bring it up to speed. Is it in pretty good shape today? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we have some leakage, but, you know, that's it's it's a building. Uh, I mean, any mm-hmm. building is going to have issues, but no, we have a we have a great team um in our maintenance department that keeps things going, but yeah, you know, eventually it may need another renovation, but for the time being, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> well, that's great. And I hope people hearing this conversation today are inspired to go out and give it another visit. I understand you guys are now open again. You you closed uh, during the earlier part of the pandemic. Was that hard, having it closed to the public after so many years of, of getting used to that interaction? Um, it was hard for all of us. I, I You know, the garden itself was closed for a little bit. And then um, even after the garden opened, it took us a little bit to catch up to where we were visitor worthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the folks that the folks that did the watering and stuff while we were off, there there was a core staff that did the watering and and kept the plants alive. They did a fantastic job, but. There was no weeding and there was no pruning, and mm. we we really walked into a jungle. <laughs> wow! So you had to do some work to get it ready for visitors again. Yes, yes. And and today, if if we came to visit, would it look would it look a little wilder than it did pre pandemic? Um. Yeah, still a little bit. We're still trying to catch up. I mean, their plants. You know, plants that we pruned a month ago are starting to put on new growth and growing. So, I mean, it, it's a constant thing. We're always pruning and weeding in here. Hmm. Well, last question for people who are maybe thinking about planning a return visit to the Climatron to help celebrate this 60th birthday. Is there something uh, within the Climatron that visitors might not know about or, or tend to overlook that you'd want to point people towards today? Um, my biggest... When you walk into the Climatron, or actually when you go anywhere in nature, mm-hmm. you know, take a few steps, stop, look around, look up, look down. Look for those little insignificant-looking flowers, because some of them are just absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, don't just rush through. Take your time and actually look around, you know, Besides the plants, you might see the birds. You might see a gecko. Um, We have geckos that live in the Climatron. Um, You know, take your time and just really look at things because when you do that, then you'll start seeing these little epiphytes and little plants growing on a rock face that you think, how did that get there? <laughs> hmm. So take a moment and, and really um, experience everything that yes. you're walking into. Yes. Well, that's some great advice. And, and Susie Ratcliffe, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. And happy birthday to the Climatron. Oh, yes. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org. Or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hempel and Lara Hamden with production assistance from Aaron Dorr. The senior producer is Emily Woodbury, and the executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.